0: Well, good evening, it's good to be here tonight. Our scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm reading, uh, starting at verse 51, to put verse 58 in context. At Timothy Christian this year, the, uh, the theme verse is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, And so my sermon is going to focus on that verse. But I'll begin reading at verse 51. firm "Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The word of the Lord. I spoke in the kindergarten through third grade chapel um, on this verse, sorry, I'm not going to give that talk to you, although you would probably be very amused with it. Uh, uh, anyway, I did this on Friday, and as part of that talk, I wanted to show the kids some roots, and I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. Before school, I came behind Faith Church, and these woods over here is full of invasive species, and just pulled up a buckthorn and marched over, and I could show the, uh, the kids the, the tree and, and the roots. Uh, So that was on on Friday, kindergarten through third grade. And uh, tonight, um, to be honest with you, here are some other thoughts that I have on verse 58. And I'm thinking of packaging them in a chapel at Timothy Christian. Uh, I'm just piloting the ideas with you, okay? So my point is, uh, if you have... uh, if it's negative, please don't tell me. But if you have any no, if you have any thoughts about what I'm saying tonight, and uh, something maybe to add, uh, a different perspective to look at something, uh, I I welcome uh, this uh, because I'd like to think continue to think about this, think about it more deeply, and I know that uh, one can do that with the input of of others. So. Uh, uh, Just keep that in the back of your mind as I share with you this evening. In a world of competing voices and increasing technological innovation, it is more important than ever to know where you stand. Standing firm. Uh, I'd like to take a few moments and look at the context of verse 58, Uh, then I'm going to talk about verse 58 in particular, and uh, then I'd like to think about three areas uh, where we are threatened to be moved uh, off of standing firm uh, in the culture in which we live. Uh, So first, the context of verse 58 and standing firm. Um, as, as many of you know, the chapters and verses in the Bible were added in the Middle Ages, right? They're not, they're not inspired, and uh, sometimes I'm reading and I think, why did they end the chapter here and begin, you know? Most of the time, it's good, but sometimes, uh, maybe not. Uh, I just want to tell you, with 1 Corinthians 15, they got it. I mean, it's this needs to be a chapter if you're going to create chapters. And uh, the reason why I say that is uh, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, use the words brothers, stand, and vain. Verse 58, guess what? Brothers, stand, and vain. Kind of a little indication by the Apostle Paul that that this this is a unit of thought, And it it all holds together. The three sections of this chapter are the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection of the body. And when we get to verse 38, it says, therefore. So the therefore is referring to, well, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting at at verse 1 and working our way through the chapter. So what what is Paul saying to build up to the therefore? Well, first of all, the Apostle Paul thinks of the past. He's thinking of the past. Uh, Said so well in verses 3 and 4 of the chapter. For what I received, I passed on to you as of of first importance. Then he explains the gospel in a nutshell. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Verse 20 But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Therefore, because our Lord Jesus Christ has not only died, but he has risen again, the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, stand firm, referring to the the past, the resurrection of Jesus. But also, the chapter refers to the future. So you see, we have the past, we have the future, and then verse 58 is the present. Now, the future, uh, I will refer to verses 21 and 22, our resurrection, for since de- death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And not only our resurrection, we are not going to rise as, as ghosts, as just spirits. Uh, middle school boys are happy that I say this, they're like, Oh my, what is this eternal life going to be like, you know? Uh, no, not spirits. Resurrection of the dead, but also bodily resurrection. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is, that is sown as perishable, it is also, it, the body, it is also raised imperishable. Eternal life, bodily resurrection. And not only do we have that that future of our resurrection, and bodily resurrection, but this chapter also refers to the return of Jesus. And so it says, listen, I read this just a moment ago, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, referring to the return. Of Jesus. James chapter 5, a different New Testament author, uh, refers to this uh, idea with standing firm as well. So James 5 8, you too, us, be patient and stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. The truth of Jesus' resurrection, of Jesus' return, And the truth of our bodily resurrection has present implications. So now let's look at verse 58. Verse 58 Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, right before this passage, or this verse, is a very famous passage. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And I don't know if it was uh, on the screen as you were looking, but, but in the Bible, it's, it's set apart here because it's, it's, it's poetry. It's a little poetic thing that's going on. And so at the end of this chapter, you know what's happening? With all of these great truths that the Apostle Paul is talking about, first he gets poetic, and then in verse 58, he gets practical. He's, he has to have both here a little poetry and the practicality. He has words that make your heart sore, and then words to ground your feet. Stand firm, standing. The ESV. Says it this way: Be steadfast, immovable, immovable. Uh, there's a Bible translation called the uh, God's Word translation, and it says it this way: So then, brothers and sisters, don't let anyone move you off the foundation of your faith. Don't let anyone move you off the foundation of your faith. It is it is so. So very important. Stand firm. Be steadfast and immovable. Now, of course, there are numerous other uh, places in Paul's letters that talks about standing firm. If you do a word search, uh, you'll find it pop up all over the epistles. And when you think about it, the Apostle Paul is this pioneer missionary. He has planted these churches He's established leaders, and then he leaves, and he's praying for, and he's thinking about these dearly beloved Christians in this world, and the church is just so so young, so new, and it would make sense that he would frequently say, "Stand firm; let nothing move you." Uh, the famous uh, armor of God passage in Ephesians six uses the word "stand." times when it when we think about spiritual warfare, stand, stand, stand. Now, what's also interesting? Uh, this passage also talks about about moving. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You're you're doing something. Um, if you're going to have a have a tree analogy, you need good roots in order to grow, and in here. In this passage, Paul is saying you need to be firmly grounded in order to live a truly purposeful life. For a life full of purpose, you must be grounded. You're grounded and you move. You give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So stand firm and move. How do people move through life? A lot could be said here. Just a few comments. Um, unfortunately for many, they move through life, and their life is defined by pain or by hurt, guilt, or regret. Uh, some just live with no purpose. Some try not to think about it. I was talking to our international students at Timothy And uh, I asked uh, some students, these were uh, just a few Chinese students, and I said, just curious, you know, you go up to a person on the street in China and ask them about, you know, the meaning of life or some of these big questions, you know, where did you come from, where are you going? And their reply was, well, we really just don't think about that. You know, we just kind of do what you do, and that's that's all there is. Some say they have purpose, uh, but it's a very small purpose. It's a purpose just just tied to this very brief time that we have on planet Earth. Well, in this passage, with the idea of the past, Jesus' resurrection, and the future of Jesus coming again and a bodily resurrection, it fills our lives with purpose. And so the apostle says, give your lives fully to the work of the Lord. Fully to the work of the Lord. I guess Paul was the first reformed theologian, huh? Don't, maybe some people would disagree with that, but uh, um, Jesus is Lord of all. And whatever you do, Whatever your responsibilities, whatever situation you are at in your life, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. As a student, study hard as working for the Lord. Whether you're employed, unemployed, retired, we work for the Lord. In the church, in places of employment, in our neighborhoods, other activities that we're involved in, We give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I might have mentioned uh, before that after my church work in Grand Junction, Colorado, I worked for a time in a bread factory. And uh, I went from working in a church to this no windows, just dim metal conveyor belt, metal bread racks, metal inside of trucks and cranky, foul language guys. Ah. And then there was me. I'm not that big, you know, and uh, I, I didn't have the words down, which was good. Um, and I was thinking, how did, how did I work? I, I will tell you, I had to pray a lot for a good attitude. Uh, but, but how did I work? Um, it all began with, with H's, okay? I worked for the Lord by working hard. I worked hard. I was faithful with my responsibilities. I was honest. I, I was honest and truthful with, uh, with my employer, with the guys that I worked with, was an honest guy. I also worked for the Lord with hope. And there wasn't much hope in that place. And that really kind of stood out. They could tell this, this guy's a little different. And I also worked by God's grace with holiness. With holiness, I worked for the Lord. Uh, primarily, this was my lack of, my lack of language and my, my kind words um, and uh, my encouraging of others to speak with wholesome words, once they got to know me, of course. And uh, I, I might have said this before, but I felt a success when they stopped swearing when they were happy. They still swore when they were mad, but hey, you know, I, I made some progress. So whatever you do, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. This is applicable to the youngest person in this room and to the oldest person in this room. We live with purpose. Now, uh, finally, threats to standing firm. Uh, There are more threats in our world to standing firm than I have here. I I just listed three. And if you have some others that you would like to share with me, I, I, I would like those. I, I, I just picked three. Um, you know, we live in this world, and it is so easy, without even noticing much. And at first, it's not intentional. We'll have, we'll have one foot standing firm in, in God's word and in the hope we have, and then slowly we can have another foot that begins to move into the world's way. And we have to be very careful that we identify that because that's not standing firm a foot in each. We are to stand firm in what we believe in Jesus Christ. So anyway, uh, the first one is, well, it's in advertising. And if you work in the advertising industry, this is fine. Nothing against that. And I'm not against company slogans. But I'd just like to create a, uh, make a point here. Uh, advertising. Uh, advertising wants to get across, it is all about you. It's all about you. Whatever you want. And isn't it interesting that very often brand slogans will tap into deep human desires. And you're like, really? This product is not going to do that. But they continue to to do this so that some people might begin to, oh, I, I, I need this. Because this will... Fulfill me in one way or another. Uh, I got this ad from Xfinity. The future of awesomeness. Okay, if you work for Xfinity, just get that one out of there, okay? I'm like, really? The future of awesomeness? Um, I'll tell you future of awesomeness. And then the other one, I didn't like this one either. Fall in love with fall TV. Fall in love. Okay, good. Fall in love with fall TV. Really? I mean, this is a this is lowering the bar big time. Uh, perfume. Let desire lead you. Ah, uh, okay. Now the one of the pioneers in the advertising industry with slogans uh, is Coca Cola. I mean, they they in the eighteen hundreds. They kind of almost. Began the the slogan thing, and uh, in 1886, Coke came out with their first slogan. And I looked at all of their slogans over the years, and boy, they have they have quite a list. Now I'm not knocking Coke. Drink Coke. This is fine, but uh, Coke adds life. Oh, okay. Life tastes good, and a recent Coke one is open happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. You want to be happy, drink a Coke. Open happiness. It can be tempting at times to give in to the message of products in our world. We are created to be consumers, this is good. Products to consume, but we have to be very careful that we don't get into consumerism, where what we get is everything to us. So uh, advertising, uh, the second uh, one, a threat to standing firm is is music. Um, you know, t- it's, it's a terrible time, quite frankly. I, well, I'm not really into the dances of Timothy. I wish we would invite all of the uh, the grandparents and learn ballroom dancing. And this would be great. I'm sorry if you're a high school student. and Don't throw anything at me. I, I like the ballroom dancing. But anyway, y- you know, dances of Timothy, they've got to screen the lyrics, right? And it's like, what do you even play anymore? You know, I, I, where do you find a song, you know, that is... Uh, acceptable to play without, you know, taking out half of it. So music. I have some thoughts about music. Uh, Who created music? I believe God created music. Music is wonderful. And I also believe, I can't exactly explain this. I think you'll agree with this, though, that the way God created music, there is something between combining lyric and melody that makes music especially powerful, or can be powerful. Uh, maybe it's because music doesn't always—it uh, doesn't just trigger the mind. It's kind of you—you you feel it. It's in your heart. Maybe I will sing the rest of my sermon. You realize? Oh, that was wonderful. Maybe not. Okay, I won't sing it. Uh, but there is something, an allure with music, with melody and lyric. There's a power to that. I believe God created it that way. This is a good thing. And think about it. Every culture, music is very important. Very important. Now, what about your music? Um, I've talked with people where when they start to talk about music, it's, it's my music. And it's almost like don't say anything about my music, because it's my music. And uh, yes, I go to church, but I have my music, and it just makes me, you know, scratch my head, because I think that anything that is not in submission to Jesus as Lord takes on kind of a godlike status if it's not into submission. In submission to Jesus as Lord. Music can be and is very often used as a type of meditation. Some people will say, Oh, I don't have, ah, boy, I didn't have time to have a quiet time today to to read the Bible or, or pray. However, they did have a quiet time, they were listening to their music, and music can be used as a type of meditation. Why? You have just words going over and over and over in your mind, thinking these things. And today's music, very often, is not even, like, uh, debatable, whether it's good or bad. I mean, it is just plain. It is really bad. And then you're listening over and over to this, being entertained. Actually, being entertained by something that grieves the heart of God. Entertained by sin and by evil. Now, there's a difference between listening to a song and discerning and just accepting it and listening to it and reveling in it and, oh, I love this song. So I'm, I'm not trying to nitpick and say, well, this song or this song. Ultimately... It is a matter of the heart, because God looks at the heart. But it is an important issue to be raised, because music is powerful. Um, It is very much a part of so many people's lives, and we need to think, is music causing me to not stand firm in the faith? Uh, So, advertising music, and uh, the last one I could not resist, uh, mobile technological devices. And uh, simply, what I'm going to do is read a couple quotes for you. Um, I don't know if you saw Time Magazine's cover story, not this week, but last week, entitled Never Offline. Interesting. It didn't title it Always Online. It just said Never Offline. Now, Time had the cover story, but they also had some editorials that were not in the magazine. One of those editorials was by one of the managing editors at Christianity Today. And Time had him write, and Time posted it on on their website. His name is Andy Crouch, Christianity Today. And he said this. All technology, like all magic before it, craves God-likeness. Technology uh, pursues the classical divine attributes of omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. Knowing everything, being everywhere, being capable of, every, of anything. Interest Technology, the mobile technology. Knowing everything, being everywhere, being capable of anything. Technology, like magic, seems to possess these divine qualities. And it promises that with its help, we... Can have them too. Now, the author of the cover story, and this is obviously a secular magazine, it's not intended to give a Christian perspective, uh, but the author, Lev Grossman, wrote some editorial comments which I thought were very insightful. And actually, a Christian could say, "Mm, hmm, I like where you're going. Let's let's think more about this. Uh, We're used to technology being safely other. But the Apple Watch wants us to snuggle up and become part of self. This is technology after being repeatedly repulsed, meaning the the, uh, wearable watch technology has not taken off yet, and people are thinking it will, wearable technology that can watch is going to take off. Uh, It remains to be seen. But this may establish a new beachhead in technology. To wear a device as powerful as the Apple Watch makes you ever so slightly post-human because the technology is is there. It's becoming part of your body. Uh, It has sensors on the bottom. You can feel can feel it there and it's sensing what your body's doing and reporting all of this to you. This is new and slightly unnerving. When technologies get adopted as fast as we tend to adopt Apple's products, uh, there are always unintended consequences. Now, let me say, uh, new technologies are wonderful tools. Wonderful tools. Awful masters. And that's why we have to discerning and think through this. He's picking on Apple because why? Well, this week the iPhone came out for sale. They had their big, you know, uh, report and and all of this. Uh, But it could be any mobile uh, technologies. Uh, When the iPhone came out, it was praised as design and engineering marvel because it was one. But no one understood what it would be like to have it in our lives. Nobody anticipated the way the iPhones exert a constant gravitational tug on our attention. Something that could cause us not to stand firm. Uh, And then last uh, thought, the reality of living with an iPhone or any smartphone or any connected mobile device is that it makes reality feel reality feel just a little bit less real. One gets overconnected to the point where one is apt to pay attention to the thoughts and opinions of distant anonymous strangers over the opinions of loved ones who are in the same room. One forgets how to be alone and undistracted. Ironically enough, experiences don't feel fully real, until you have posted them online through a tweet, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And then the world has congratulated you for doing so. Uh, We are uh, in very interesting times with such fast technological advances uh, that it's important for us as Christians Uh, to be able to discern how to use technology as a tool, but to be very aware how it can slightly, little by little, nudge us off of our firm foundation in Jesus Christ. So we are called to stand firm in what we believe, and when we stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can move forward with great purpose and call from God. I imagine that most of us in this room agree with these truths. May God make them more central to our living day by day. Amen.